Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 49. Genesis 49, we're, of course, continuing our study in the book of Genesis. We're right near the end. We're seeing the family of Jacob, and they've come to Egypt from the promised land. And that's really a way to say it. They've left the land that God had promised them and come to Egypt. Now, that's by God's direction, and, and the nation has left that with, with Isaac and uh, that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now they've gone down to Egypt during the famine. We're near the end of Jacob's life. And really, at this stage, you could say, all oh, looks good for Israel. They're protected from the famine. Joseph has this major place of leadership role. The family is safe and secure. So we could say everything looks good for them. What we're doing is at the very end, though, at the very end of this passage or the very end of the book, we see that Jacob is bringing in his 12 sons and basically giving prophecies about him. He's about to die, and he, and he wants to tell them. Basically, he calls it the blessing. And we see that at some of it's not always blessing. We saw last time. And it's been a while, of course, but we saw last time they were they, they brought in or he talked to the we saw the first four, and of those three three things were very negative, and then one was Judah, and thing, it was very positive. Well, tonight we're going to see the rest of them. We're going to go back and get a quick review because it's been a long time. I just want you to see how it fit together again and get the quick review, and then we'll see the rest of the family. And there's not much about each one of them except Joseph. And so reality is, you look at this thing. There's a little bit about all of them, and then for two of them, Judah and Joseph. There's a lot, and in a sense, they get a lot of the information, and we can see things about it. Some of the others, uh, to be real honest, I mean, we'll read them and we'll look at them and we'll go, "What exactly does that mean?" You can almost see that when the son stands there and the daddy says this, he walks away and goes, "What did that mean? What did he say? I don't know. What did he? What did he say? Uh, he said I'm, gonna, I'm a ravenous wolf. What, what does that mean? I mean, so we'll look at it as we go through it and see the best that we can. And what we'll do is get a brief review of what the first part and a little bit about Judah, and then we'll see the others, and then more of the emphasis on Joseph. And we'll stop with that, and then the next week we'll get to where Jacob dies, of course, and what happens after that in the burial and those kind of things. So there's a lot there. Let's let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the study. Heavenly Father, what a great night! Thank you again, Lord, for the privilege of um, being to come coming together with all the the other believers. Thank you, Lord, for a great night. We just pray for. As everybody goes home, and we just thank you for the privilege uh, to worship you. Lord, we ask you that as we look at the book of Genesis, especially the last part, which really, Lord, is hard, and, and we're not always sure exactly what everything is said there, but we just know that your word is perfect, and help us to see it and put it together and, and understand it. Thank you uh, for the fact that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than your two-edged sword and never comes back void, but accomplishes the purpose. They're profitable, and it's truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Teach us now, Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about the Bible, there are, there are a number of names for God in the Scripture, especially the Old Testament and New Testament. But think about it. Uh, we've, we looked over oh, at different times. We've looked at the different meanings of the names of God. There's several that stand out. Let, let me just think about Old Testament since this is where we are. But think about this. There's some names like the name El is just the singular form of the name God. And it's used in a lot of things. Sometimes it's used in things like El Shaddai and El Elon and those kind of things. Then the name Elohim is actually plural. And it's used for God. And, and oftentimes, in fact, most of the time, when you see Elohim in the Scripture, you know, you can't even tell it. It just says, and God said or something. But it's a plural form. Most of the time, it's because it's the idea of the, the Trinity behind it. Sometimes it's the idea of majesty of God. But it, most of the time, it's, a lot of times, it's plural form. Then there's the word Adonai, which is the word for Lord, which is just a powerful word. And then a word that you've we've talked about many times, <clears throat> the word El Shaddai. El is God, and Shaddai is the Almighty One or the Powerful One or the One who provides 
And so it's often translated as El Shaddai. The reason I brought that one up there is because that's we're going to see that word tonight. We'll see it, not the word itself, but we'll see the English form of it, and we'll see that it ties together because it's always given the idea that God is the powerful one. God is the one who can provide. God is the one who protects. It's good to know that God is the all-powerful one, that he can do anything. In fact, I love the verse in Romans 4, in Romans 4, 20 and 21, where it says that Abraham was convinced that God, whatever God promised he was able to do. Now, that's beautiful because whatever God promises, he's able to do. You think about it. We can make a promise all the time, but that doesn't mean we're able to do it. I'll say, I promise I'll be there, but we don't know if we're going to be there or not. We, I mean, we think we will, but something could happen and we're not able to be there. But whenever God makes a promise, since he's all-powerful, then he can always do whatever he says. So we can always rest in security knowing that we have an all-powerful God. Now, this tonight we're going to see Jacob, and as he gives the blessings, especially when he gives it to Joseph, he talks about the El Shaddai. He uses that name. Uh, I did a, several studies on my Tuesday morning, Thursday morning guys, and we really talked about the Trinity a little bit, and we talked about El Shaddai. And the best that we can tell, El Shaddai is the the is God who who is God is really Jesus in his pre-incarnate form, and it's where he comes, and that people can actually talk to him. He's the one because we know that that God told Moses that you nobody can see me and live, and and, and no man sees me. And then the Bible talks about that Moses saw the Lord face to face. Well, the one that he saw face to face was the El Shaddai, which is Jesus. Jesus, actually. So we'll talk about that, but it's, it has the idea of the, the powerful one, the God Almighty. So it's really great. Well, let's, let's, let's begin. We're near the end of the book, of course. Jacob has come to Egypt. The entire family is there, uh, and, and they went down with about 70 people. The thing about it, we always say nation of Israel. We say the nation of Israel went to Egypt, but it, at this point, it's really not a nation. It's a family. It's about 70 people, and of course, it's going to be more than that. By the time Jacob gets ready to die, they've been there a, a, few, a number of years, and, and so the number, I'm sure, is more than 70 people, but it's not going to be anything like it is when they come out uh, those years later when we'll look over in Exodus, so they get ready to come out, and they come out probably with 2 million people, so it's a little bit different. Now, as we get, as Jacob nears the end of his life, here he does three things. He requests that Joseph bury him in Canaan. He blesses Joseph's two sons, which we saw, as we remember, where he crossed the hands over and everything on Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he blesses his 12 sons. Now, some of the guys would argue with you. They would say, I don't think it was a blessing. But what he calls giving his blessing is he's giving the prophecies about these sons. The two of them that stand out that, that we see the most about is Judah and Joseph. Last time, and that's been a good while ago, we looked at the first four sons. It was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And we saw the details of Judah. Tonight, we'll see the rest of the boys, as we call it, with the details will be on Joseph. But let me remind you of the first four and what we see. Here, we, here it goes. The first one was Reuben. He was firstborn, and when, God, when Jacob called him in and talked to him, he said, he said, because, bottom line, he lost his blessing because he was firstborn. Firstborn was supposed to get all the blessings of the double portion and everything. He lost it all because he had sex with his daddy's, one of his daddy's servants or one of his daddy's handmaids. One, you know, that's what he did. And, uh, uh, it, one of, you know, it was bad. And so he said, because of that, you've lost your position. So that was not good. Then the next two was Simeon and Levi, and they lost their blessings because they went and murdered some people. If you remember, we went back and talked about that. So the first three go in, and they come out, and they're going, this was not very good. I mean, it wasn't, but I'm not sure they expected anything good. The fourth one goes in is Judah. Now, Judah has had some ups and downs in his life, and he's done some things that were good, and he's done some things that were bad. But what we saw was this, 
And that is through Judah comes the Messiah. That was the promise that 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 the Messiah would come through Judah. There were three things that stood out, and, and we're not going to even look at the verses, but there was three things that stood out, three aspects of the blessings. There was victory, strength, and rule is what he told him. He said there will be victory, strength, and rule. Look look at, and just, just for a second, just to do this, look at verse 8 where he said, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Well, that's the victory. Go to the next slide. The name Judah means praise. Let me go past that. And the next one, victory is on the neck of the enemy. So he said, Judah, you will have victory. Okay? Second thing is he talks about strength. And look what he says. He says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. As a lion, who dares to rouse him up? The second thing is the strength. He's described as a lion. And then the third thing is the rule. And look at this one. He says in verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Now, we talked about that. The rule, the scepter, of course, is the rod of the king. king gets to hold a scepter. And that means I've got the authority and the power. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That coming through Judah is going to be the king. He says, the ruler's staff comes until Shiloh comes. Now, Shiloh was a name of a city, but it was also comes from the derivative of the Hebrew, the word for peace. And he's talking about the Shiloh. The Shiloh is the Messiah. He basically says, through Judah... There's going to come this Messiah. And it's a great prophecy. And, and uh, Shiloh means peace. The reference is to the, king of, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so the prophecy to Judah, which made it so special, is the kings coming through Judah. And, of course, as you know, if you trace it down through history... The, the great one is King David. He's from the tribe of Judah. And he's the king, and the promise to him is the, is the Messiah and the Savior. And Jesus is called the lion out of the tribe of Judah. And, and of course, I've got, I think, right for you, Second Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17, is the promise to King David that his son, that a son will come through him that will sit on the throne forever. That's the Messiah. And then we see that that was the promise. And, and then we see the fulfillment in Luke chapter 1 when the baby is born. Uh, right before the baby is born, the angel comes and tells Mary that she's going to have a son and he'll take the throne of his father David and he will have the house of Jacob and his rule will be no end. And so he'll have a kingdom. And so there is the prophecy. And it's really amazing. And if you, it, we don't take the time, but in verses 11 and 12, it talks about how blessing everything is going to be when the ruler is through Judah. And there's no doubt about it. When Jesus Christ comes as the king, it's going to be amazing. Uh, I always... You know, think about the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And sometimes people get real confused on all of this. Jesus Christ came the first time to die. He came, now, he came and he offered himself to the nation of Israel as the king and the Messiah, but they rejected him. But his point was that he came to die on the cross to pay for sin. We're seeing that in the Gospel of John on Sunday morning, Jesus, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who died and rose again, and by believing in him you have eternal life. His first time to come was to die. His second time to come, and we're talking about to the earth, is to rule in righteousness and justice. That's the prophecy through Judas. So here's the fourth son coming out of his meeting with his father saying, the King and Messiah is coming through me. Wow. One of my descendants will be the Savior of the world. And so you could put it this way. The blessing to Judah, the King, the tribe from which the Messiah would come and ultimately rule the world. Do we realize, I mean, think about it tonight. Do we realize that Jesus Christ is the Lion, the King, 
the line out of the tribe of Judah, the one who will return to the earth one day as the king of kings and the lord of lords and rule in righteousness and justice. And so it's really, really powerful. Now, from this, let, let's carry on. That was that was basically through got us through verse 12. Starting at verse 13, you'll notice is Zebulun. In verse 14 is Ishakar. In verse 16 is Dan. In about verse 20 is Asher. So he's going to go through them fairly quickly. Let me just... We'll just look at it and we'll tell you the best that we can understand. So here comes Zebulun. It says, Zebulun will dwell at the seashore and he shall be a haven for ships and his flank shall be toward Sidon. Now, that's what all he says. Short statements. Don't have a whole lot of information. But what he says, he will dwell near the seashore near Sidon. Well, once they came into the promised land, all these years later, over 400 years later, they came into the promised land under uh, Joshua and they divide the land up. Guess where Zebulun's land is? It's by the seashore. It's near, it's, uh, it's near the sea. It's near Sidon. That's where his land is. So this prophecy came true. Look at the next one. Then he talks to Ishakar, and he says, Ishakar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. We go, what could that mean? What is it talking about? It says he's strong and, and he finds a good place that, he, that they want to live. That's basically what he says. But he also has to work hard. That's the best we can understand. Well, it seems that he will become a servant and work hard. The best that we can tell of this prophecy is that when they were building the temple and they were building some cities, that those from the tribe of Ishakar were faithful in helping them build. That's, that's all we can come up with. There's just not, a, not, not enough there. Then we go to the next guy, and his name is Dan, and his name means judge. Notice, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backwards. And then he goes on to say, for your salvation I wait, O Lord. What? Well, you could say, Dan, what is he talking about? Dan would go, I, I really don't know. And it, he's going to be a judge. It means he's going to be a leader. When it says that he shall, he shall uh, be a serpent in the way and all this, the idea that he's a fighter, that he's able to fight and gain victory, like a snake that, that, that bites a horse and the rider falls off, is basically saying that he has victory. And Dan was a very small tribe. In fact, they had two different parts. They got to one place, and it was a little bitty area. That's all they got. And they said, we have more people than this little bitty area. So some of them broke off, went a little further north, and killed a whole bunch of people and took over a place. And they called the city Dan. And so Dan were known as being fighters. And that's sort of what they are. And so that's what it seems to indicate there, that they're going to be fighters and the horse and rider are going to fall backwards and that kind of thing. So that's that's all we can see. Now, the verse, when he makes the statement, for your salvation I wait, O Lord. We're not sure whether that's going with Dan or that's just a statement that he makes. But bottom line, he's saying, I'm waiting for the waiting for the Messiah. And it could be that he's saying that Dan is waiting for the Messiah. We just don't know exactly. Then the next guy is Gad. Okay? Look what it says about Gad. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. That's all that he says. Think about this. You've waited all this time for your time to go in, and he makes that statement and says, Thank you for coming. And he goes back at it. He goes, What did he mean? What did he mean for that? He says, Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he shall raid at their heels. It just seems to indicate that 
that whenever Gad's group is attacked, they'll be able to defend themselves and run the people off. Because that's what it says. It says, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their hills, meaning he's going to chase them. And so it just seems to indicate that they're going to gain victory in, in wars, in battles. That's, that's all we can get from it. So if you're Gad, you could say, I don't, I don't, I, I think we're going to win, win wars. That's all I know. Then look at the next one. Asher. As for Asher, his food shall be rich and he shall rule all dainties. Uh, and, and that's all it says. And so the best that we can tell, and as you look in history, that the, where the tribe of Asher was, there was, there was rich food, there were tr- crops, there were areas to grow food. You know, in Israel, if you go in the southern part of Israel, is where there is one big city. It's Jerusalem. And it's mountainous. Uh, there's, not much, there's not much water there. It's a wonder that Jerusalem has survived all these years because there's not hardly any water in Jerusalem. You go over not very far and there's the Dead Sea, but you can't drink that. You have a long way to go to get to the Mediterranean Sea, so there's not much water there. Jerusalem is the big city in the south of the mountains. You go to the north and you get to the Sea of Galilee, and that's where the fishing and everything, but if you go a little south of the Sea of Galilee, between the north and the south, there is a fertile area. Uh, the plain of Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel, and that's where Asher's land is, and that's where the crops are today. And if you go to Israel and you talk about their farming, and if you said, where are the farmers? They're in that part of the country. And so that seems to be what he's talking about, is that's where the food will be grown. Now look at the next one, Naphtali. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. You can see Naphtali going, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm a doe let loose. And I give beautiful words. Well, uh, there's some tradition that says that people from the tribe of Naphtali were famous poets. They were able to speak well. Some say that they gave beautiful words because they give the good news message. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news message. You remember that passage? And in Matthew chapter 4, where it talks about a great light shall be seen in a part of the world, and and that's near the Sea of Galilee, and Naphtali's land was up near the Sea of Galilee. Where was Jesus Christ's ministry? Near the Sea of Galilee. His headquarters in Capernaum. And, and, and the prophecies in the Old Testament were that part of the world will see a great light. The light of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel message. So some believe that Naphtali, by saying he will give beautiful words, that he's given the, the good news message, and that's where the message started in that part. Well, we're not sure, but that's the best we can tell. Well, now the last part, there's two more left. Most of this, if you look, verse 22 all the way down to verse 26, verse 22 through 26, is all Joseph. He's going to talk a lot about him. Now, Joseph, as you know, was his favorite one. And who was the second favorite one? Who? Benjamin, well, look at poor Benjamin. He's got one little verse, you know. Uh, but uh, Joseph gets a lot. He's going to talk about Joseph. He is the son that he loved. He's the son that he thought was dead for years and years. And now he's there. And, and he's the son that's going to get the double portion and all of these things. So look what he says about Joseph. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. Now, all he's saying is that Joseph, you're fruitful. Everything you do is good. It's like a bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. Because how's something going to grow? You got to have what? Got to have water. There it is. And then notice what he says. Your its branches run over a wall. In other words, it's so it's growing so much that it just keeps growing. It goes over walls. It grows over everything. It just keeps going. He says there's going to be great blessing. Now watch the next part. 
the archers bitterly, bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm and his arms were agile. Now I'm going to stop there for a second because it ties together. What is he talking about? Archers came after him, shot at him, harassed him, but he remained strong. What could that be talking about? It could, it, that's what most believe, that, that, that when he's talking about how the archers attacked him, because it's past tense, it didn't say will attack him, it says have attacked him. Most believe that's when his brothers came after him and tried to kill him and do all of this. But it says his bow remained firm. That means he didn't give up. He didn't stop. And you know, the amazing thing about Joseph is that he's one of the few people in the Scripture that you don't see... You don't really see sin in Joseph's life. Now, the closest to it is is when he tells his brothers they're all going to bow down to him and he's basically better than everybody else. That's probably as close to it as you're going to get because no matter where Joseph was, whether he was a slave and with Potiphar or whether he was in prison or whether he was with the, with the Pharaoh, everything he did, he did exactly what he was supposed to do and God blessed him in everything that he did. And so I think this is what Jacob is saying. Jacob says, you're a fruitful bow, you're blessed. Even when people came after you, it didn't matter. Your bow remained firm, your arms were agile. Now, why? How could he triumph? In fact, uh, how could he always have victory? Because that's what I've got. He triumphed. His victory was always by God. And what I want you to see is there are three ways just in verse 24. This is what's so amazing about the Bible. In the midst of all this stuff, we see three ways that God is described. Notice verse 24. But his bow remains firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Now, there are three ways he describes God right here. He calls him the mighty one of Jacob. He calls him the shepherd. And he calls him the stone or the rock of Israel. Look at that. Let's start with the first one. I've got them up there. I didn't know I put them all three there at the same time. But there they are. He calls him, he says, uh, from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. The hands, the mighty one of Jacob. The, the, the word, the mighty one, guess what word it is? It's Shaddai. It's him. It's the El Shaddai. He says he is the El Shaddai that the, the mighty one of Jacob is the one who took care of him. Then he says the shepherd. For there is the shepherd. That's the one who provided and protected. And, and you think about it. Uh, first of all, just from the El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, uh, God can do anything, right? I mean, no matter what. If, if, you, if Jacob or Joseph was in prison, in the worst prison you can imagine, God could take him from there and make him number two in all of Egypt. I mean, that's just, people would say that's impossible. I mean, that's not possible that a Jewish slave would become number two in Egypt. That's not possible. But it is, and it did. Because of the mighty one of Jacob, the El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. The shepherd is the one who provides and protects. That's what a shepherd does. And the Lord is our shepherd, and he provided and protected for Jacob all of his days. I mean, just amazing. And the third thing is there, he's the rock of Israel, or the stone of Israel, the rock of Israel. Uh, Isaiah 8:14, God is called a rock. Uh, he, if you build your house on the what? On the rock, you're okay. You build your house on the sand, what happens? It falls. And, and he is the rock of Israel. And think about this. He says, God is the almighty shepherd rock. How do you and I view God? Think about this. Do we view him, first of all, as the almighty one who can do anything? You can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens you. Apart from Him, you can do absolutely nothing. I mean, He is the all-powerful one. And He can do anything. And it is not one prayer request that you could ever make 
that can't possibly come true. Now, unless it's contrary to the Scripture and contrary to God's character, it's not going to happen. But, but when you just say, oh, Lord, would you please help this happen or do this? He can do anything. If it's his plan, if he wants to do it, he can do anything. That's why I always think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember in the, when they're getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace and, and Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, listen, uh, you guys need to bow down right now. They said, we're not going to bow down. He says, listen, you don't bow down. I'm going to heat this thing up like five to seven to ten times higher than it's ever been before. And we're throwing you right in there. And they said, God is able to deliver us if he chooses to. If he chooses to, he can deliver us. If not, we will not bow down. And so it looked like God wasn't going to deliver them because he didn't choose to. They threw him in the fire, but when he threw him in the fire, it didn't burn him up. They said, in there going, this doesn't even hurt. What is the deal? And you remember he looked in there and he said, what is going on? I, we, I, I threw four men in there, I mean three men in there, but I see four walking around and one is like the Son of God. And when they came out, they said, you, you don't even smell like you've been in a fire. Because he can do anything. Now, let me tell you. We can offer, he said, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. You can offer up any prayer request to God anytime. He may or may not choose to answer that prayer. But one thing we know, he can do anything if that's part of his plan for our lives. So we can look at that. The second one is he's the shepherd. And he provides and protects. Uh, there is nothing that we really need that he, he you know he, he'll give us all our needs he'll supply all our needs that we have and sometimes it looks like it's not working it looks like we say well it didn't work out sometimes you know you'll see something like you'll say lord i really want this and then you don't get it and you say i really think i needed that and then something will happen maybe even a year will go by and you'll look back and you'll say well i'm glad i didn't get that I'm really glad I didn't get that. I, I look back now and I see that wasn't the best thing. Has that happened to any of us? Happened to every one of us. And you actually prayed for something and prayed for something and said, Oh Lord, I want that. And you didn't get it and you were sort of mad at the time and you think, I can't believe that didn't happen. And then you look back and you go, Boy, I'm glad that didn't happen. And because God says, I know what I'm doing. He is the provider, protector. He'll give us exactly what we need at the right time. The third thing, He's the rock. He never changes. That's what is so great about God. He never changes. Why I love the Bible so much is if you learn a truth from the Bible, guess what? It's not going to change. If 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 uh, if they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, guess what? It's never going to be 39. It's never going to change. If you've memorized that the first king of Israel was Saul, the second was David, and the third was Solomon, it's never going to change. When you realize that he says, I give you eternal life and you will never perish, that's never going to change. The truths of the Bible do not change. And He's the rock. Jesus Christ the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. I love the way He says He didn't say yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, something could happen. He said forever. So beautiful. So how do you see God? Do you see Him as the rock? You see Him as the shepherd? You see Him as the almighty God? I think that's one reason I'm so excited about the Gospel of John is because all we'll see over and over is that Jesus Christ is God and that He is the Savior and that He gives as a gift eternal life. Sometimes in the book of Revelation, of course, which is written by John, he'll say things like, come and take the water of life, what? Without cost. Without cost. I mean, I just love that. 
verse 17, Revelation 22:17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who thirsts so come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. What if he had to pay for it? What if you had to do just one thing for salvation? You, you might not could do it. What if, what if something happened and you couldn't do it? What if somebody else could do it and you couldn't do it? And you go, that's not fair. God says, listen, none of this is fair because I'm giving it to you by grace. You don't want fair. You don't want justice. You get justice, what do you get? You get death. You get grace is what you want. Grace and mercy. Well, look what he says. Look, look what he talks about the blessings, which I love this. He says, he says, let me get it again. He says, for the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, there's the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Now watch this. From the God of your father who helps you, and by the, look at here, the Almighty, that's El Shaddai, who blesses you. And then he's going to list the blessings. Tell me where they're from. Look at here. With blessings of heaven above, so you get the above blessings. Blessings of the deep that what? Line below. So you got heaven, you got blessing from above, you got blessings from below, you got blessings of the breast and of the womb, which is, he's really just saying, from, from your mother. There's blessings from your mother. And then look at the next one. He says, uh, and the blessings of your, what? Next verse. Father. He says, listen, you got blessings from above, you got blessings from below, you got blessings from your mama, you got blessings from your daddy. That's our blessings. And we can look at the same thing. He gives us blessings from above and blessings from... Listen, remember the psalmist that says, if I, if I were to go up to the heavens, you are where? There. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. If I go to darkness, you are there. The darkness is light to you. I mean, think about it. He's always with us. He's always there and he always blesses. So he says, the blessings of your father. And then he says, have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors. He says, all of the blessings you got, they're beyond what any of us have ever got. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the distinguished among his brothers. He's saying, Joseph, you're getting all the blessings. The other brothers, they could be going, that's not fair. But you know what? You've got to be real careful. Why? If you're one of those brothers. Because who's in control of everything? Joseph is, right? There's Pharaoh and then Joseph. So if you're one of the brothers, you're not going to go start complaining about the blessings, right? Because who's in charge here? Ultimately, Joseph is in charge. His father is saying, you got all the blessings. You got it all. Look at the last one. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours his prey. and In the evening, he divides the spoil. Benjamin was the youngest. Uh, the idea there is that... Uh, 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 a ravenous wolf and, and captures his prey is that he gains victory. You know, the, 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 the tribe of Benjamin was probably the smallest tribe. You remember when Saul became king and God told him, you're going to be king? Saul said, my, our tribe is the smallest tribe and my family is a very small family. How can I be king? And he was. And you know, they were famous, famous for being fighters. Do you remember what they were famous for? Anybody remember? If I do something on my left hand, does that mean anything? There were some group of people from the tribe of Saul, up from the tribe of uh, Benjamin, that could, could they were left-handed, and they could use a slingshot or a sling and, and hit anybody, kill anybody with it. I mean, they were just, they were like sharpshooters. 
And you didn't want to mess with them. If you ever study the book of Judges, there's a time that some from the tribe of Benjamin do something really bad. So the rest of the tribes decide they're going to go kill all the people in Benjamin. And so the small group of Benjamites just keep defeating them over and over because of these sharpshooters and because of their soldiers. And so most believe this is a prophecy saying that Benjamin is a great fighter and the descendants of Benjamin will be great fighters and they will win. Notice verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone, notice, with blessings appropriate to him. This is what he said. Now, one of the most amazing things is this not just Jacob deciding to say something to his sons. This was prophecy as well because what he said ultimately, as we've seen, a lot of these came true in things that we could see. Some of them we couldn't see for sure. We don't know exactly what they mean. But as a whole, you could see that these prophecies of these sons came true. Joseph, of course, was always famous and always the blessing and got the double portion and the, and the, and the Messiah and the king did come through Judah. So just as these promises were, God always does. Let me stop here. What I want to do is next time we'll start with uh, basically 29 and go through most of chapter 50 and we'll put it together. But we've seen the blessings of the sons. We've seen the prophecies concerning the boys. We've seen Judah who gets the Messiah and the king and we see Joseph who gets the blessing and the protection. Now, let me, let me give you some applications and we'll open up for any questions you might have. First of all, just remember this. Our actions and lifestyle affect others. You realize that because of what Reuben did, all of his descendants were affected by that. What Levi and Simeon did, all of their descendants were affected by that. You realize that how you and I live today, what we do now has an impact on those who are coming after us. Not only in our families, but in those who are close to us, our friends. If, if we do some things, it's not only going to affect us and our family, but those close people who are in contact with us. I had a person come to me, and they, they work somewhere, and they came and talked to me. They don't go to our church, but I talked to them, and they were mad about something. And they were mad because a person, and they came to me because they knew I was a pastor, but they came to me and they said, this, this person from another church, from, from a church in town, had come to them and caused them problems. And the first statement the person made to me was, see there, these people in churches, they're always saying one thing and they're doing another. And I said, well, don't, don't just blame a church because of a person, because we know they're from a church. You know, and that's what happens sometimes. When, when we do things, not only is it going to affect you, not only is it going to affect your family, it could affect your body, your local body, your church. I mean, just think about it. And so this is what we see. Uh, how we live now affects not only us now, but others. And we see the negative and the positive. Reuben and Simeon and Levi, negative, but the positive was Judah and Joseph. Now the others, there were positive things for some of these others in their lives. But really, because what Reuben and Simeon and Levi did... There was great negativeness coming out of that. But what Judah and Joseph and, and, and you could we could we could make a case that Judah wasn't that good. You know? But that's not our it's not our it's not our place to decide what Jacob was going to give and what the prophecies were, but there were some blessings there. So how are we living? Are we living in such a way that we are making a positive impact for Jesus Christ?
and that we're bringing people to Christ and how we're living now will be a legacy for the future. For the future. I always think about Prof. Hendricks because I just love him so much and um, he's, he's not in good health. But we know this, that if you just talk to anybody that's ever gone through Dallas Seminary, the first person they talk about is Prof. Hendricks. And if you talk about people who maybe didn't even go to Dallas Seminary but like to study the Bible, the first person they bring up is, oh yeah, that Prof. Hendricks and his observation, interpretation, application and how he taught Bible study methods and stuff like that. And I guarantee you that this man has one of the greatest legacies of anybody living today. Because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. If you come to me and say, J.B., thanks for teaching me about how to study the Bible. Well, where did I get it from? Got it from Prof. Hendricks. See? And so you have it and you pass it on to somebody else. Think of the legacy there. We want to live in such a way that lives will be touched positively for the rest of our lives. Positively. Second thing, let's see, let's see God as Jacob saw God. He saw him as the lion out of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. I mean, that's how, that's how he saw him. And, and he, he saw him as, the, as the, the one who rules in righteousness and justice. You know, and I thought, talked about this right at the start. But think about the dual comings of the Messiah. That the first time the Messiah came, it was for salvation. And I'm talking about eternal life salvation for us. He died and rose again, and that's the first coming. The second time he comes, he comes to rule in righteousness and justice. I talked to somebody just recently, and they were, they were so confused. They came to me, and they said, uh, just the way the world's going, it sure does tell us that Jesus is coming soon. And I said, which coming are you talking about? Because there aren't any signs for the, for the rapture. There are many signs for the second coming, but most of the signs of the second coming happen during the tribulation, not now. So if you're looking for signs to tell you Jesus is coming, listen, he could come any second anyway, so there aren't any signs. Just be ready because he can come at any second. Sammy comes the second time. Go, I'm sorry. Uh, when he comes the second time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will rule in righteousness and justice. Think about these aspects of our God and Savior. The next slide. He is the El Shaddai. Is that not right? He is the all-powerful God. We want to rest in his power for he is the mighty God. When we walk out these doors, we do not have to be afraid. Afraid of anything. You go and represent the living, all-powerful, mighty El Shaddai God. That's who you represent. That's who power empowers you and strengthens you. And you can do all things through His strength and power. So we don't have to be afraid. The second thing is realize He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd that provides and protects us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He will provide every need that we have. We don't have to ever be afraid in that way because He's going to give us what we need when we need it. And then last but not least, he's the rock. He's the unchanging God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the basis for our lives. And so let's see God as, as Jacob saw him, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the king, as the El Shaddai, the shepherd, and the rock. So we want to rest in our, in our Messiah, the lion of Judah, the all-powerful shepherd and rock who saves us, and provides for us. He's amazing. Let's pray. If you've got any questions, comments, we'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for tonight. And Lord, even as we look through these verses, that some of them we're not sure exactly what's going on, but we can see uh, that that the, the the promises and the the blessings there uh, will come to pass because Your Word is always true. Lord, we thank You uh, that that we can rest in You. And Lord, and when we think about how we live, and we think about how some of these guys lived, and then what happened, Lord, we want to live in such a way that that we'll be bringing people to Christ, and we'll live in such a way that we'll have a legacy that will carry on after us, a good legacy. And so, Lord, we just ask You that that You would empower us, and we live for You, and we make our lives count for You, and and we live in such a way that You get all the honor and the glory. Lord, we think about the fact that that You are all-powerful. You are the Almighty God. You are the Shepherd who provides and protects You. You are the Rock who never changes. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. Lord, may we never take for granted who You are, and may we go from this place and, and represent You knowing who You are and go boldly into this world. Thank you, Lord, for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions or comments, anything? Yes. No, not anything that I've read. Um, it, what's so strange is when you... Because, could you hear this question? Why, why, is there anything we've read that why the Messiah would come through Judah rather than Joseph? Okay. Well, one, one thing is, think about Joseph. Would the Messiah come through Joseph? Or would he come through Ephraim and Manasseh? Because it was a divided up aspect. And so there may be the aspect of the fact that you can't just say Joseph because you have to say, is it Ephraim or Manasseh? So that's a possibility there of that double portion. Um, who was the first king of Israel? What tribe? Benjamin. Could he have continued on being king? And could the, could the kingship come through Benjamin? Not through the prophecy, right? What did, what did God tell using Samuel to tell Saul when he told him he was taking the kingdom away from him? Do you remember what he told him? He told him, if you would have done right the kingdom would have remained and the kingdom would have come through you. You'd say, that's, that's not possible, right? Well, it's possible if he'd have done what was right, but he didn't do what was right. And the prophecies long ago basically said that it's not coming through him. So even though it started with, you, with, with uh, Benjamin, it can't stay that way. You know? So I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to think of everything I've ever read, which... Uh, I just can't think of anything that says, here's why it came through Judah. Just the promise did come through him. And the prophecy there says that the scepter will not depart until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is, of course, the Messiah. So, Say that again. That's a, a great point. She said, uh, could it be that because he, that Judah came through Leah, and Leah was the first wife, and that God basically says you're supposed to have one wife. He not only had Leah, he had Rachel, and, and then Bilhah, and Zilpah, and had, I mean, he had everything, you know, and all these people, all these tribes came through him. There's a possibility of that, but you know, the truth is, Leah wasn't supposed to be his wife. I mean, he didn't marry Leah. He, uh, he married Rachel. And then he wakes up with Leah because he got tricked into it, you know, because Laban was a trickster. So I don't know. Um, who knows? You know, some people have said that the, tri- the king came through Leah because she got, 
she got messed over. She got married to somebody who didn't want to marry her, didn't want, didn't love her, and she's spent her whole life struggling with the fact that that he never loved her, and and that was, you know, well, at least the king came. To, and one thing about it, she had all the kids at first. I mean, she had six of them, right? I mean, so she had some blessing that way as well. What else? Oh yeah, Rachel. I mean uh, Hazel. Yeah, he was. His name. What was Paul's other name? What was his other name? Saul. Who do you think he was named after? Possibly King Saul. Yeah, when you look at it, there's so many great things in the Scripture. What else? Anything else? Okay, so they told me that uh, some people, when they were coming, that it was getting a little slippery. So as you get ready to go home, drive really, really careful, okay? And somebody may need to drive me home. Okay, no, just kidding. But no. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thanks.